Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Let me talk for a moment about Ohio and the referenda that we saw up in Ohio. And I'm going to get to some emails uh, in a minute. And uh, uh, Jeff, stay on the line. I'll get your call here as well. But just for a moment, let me talk about Ohio. There are a lot of different things that were going on up in Ohio. A couple of the, and, and uh, they had the two ballot initiatives. One was um, about abortion, and they codified it into their state constitution, allowing essentially abortion up until the moment of birth and all sorts of uh, transgender surgeries on minors and all of that, abortions and the trans surgeries, um, without parental consent. That's where Ohio just went. Now, I don't know if everybody knew that, but when you put that question on the ballot, you motivate a lot of the uh, the Democrats and a lot of suburban, uh, moderate, even Republican women, but also they threw on the ballot legalization of pot. And so you, you have a very, very strong uh, motive for a lot of younger people to go vote. And I think that's what we saw. And one of the more disgusting things I have seen so far in the analysis afterwards was to blame pro-lifers for the loss of those two initiatives in Ohio. The pro-lifers have been very consistent in their position. I suspect a lot of this was a lack of preparation by a lot of states that they were going to win Dobbs. They were not prepared for post-Dobbs, post-Roe. So a lot of states had some really old, you know, 40, 50-year-old laws still on the books um, that were way more restrictive than where the American population is. I have said from the very beginning, uh, when I started as a talk show host, I've said from the beginning, my personal belief is that life begins at conception. It's science. And... The issue never should have been decided by the U.S. Supreme Court. It was a matter for the states to determine. And so when Dobbs came down, it got kicked back to the states, as it should be. And now all of the fights need to occur at the state level. And people need to understand that not, this is the thing that gets me every time, whether we're talking about Trump or any other candidate, or we're talking about abortion policy or gun policy or whatever, it's like there's there's this lack of recognition that not everybody agrees with you. I've said this to the left for years, which is, I hear you. I understand your argument. I disagree. That doesn't mean I'm not listening. It doesn't mean I haven't heard your position. I understand it. I've heard you. I understand it. I can make your arguments. But I disagree. And you've not found a way, and you yelling at me that I have to agree with you, guess what? Not going to make me agree with you. So what do you do? Right? Politics is the art of the possible, right? 
Take half the loaf. If you can get half of the deal, take half the deal. And then you come back and fight for the rest. That has always been the case. But people think that if they just get their one guy into an office, then, then, then they win. I mean, I've heard people, I've seen people in the, in the wake of last night, and they're saying stuff like, uh, well, that's fine, get rid of all the rhinos, we'll get Trump in there, and then you know we win. What exactly do you think you're going to be able to do with one person in the White House and, and no support in any of the other branches? Then what? But you want them to rule by fiat, just write executive orders all over the place? Is, is that is is that what uh, Schoolhouse Rock taught you about how a bill becomes a law and how we're supposed to be governed? I got a message from the Hellion who says national Republicans are quite comfortable being in the minority. Probably makes them more money. No, it, I agree. It's not just national either, and it's not just um, it's not just RNC members. It's not just the swamp. It's not just the deep state. There are a lot of people that make more money as the underdog. This is no different than critical race theory, the oppressed oppressor uh, uh, rubric that we are forced to uh, uh, to view everything through. Right. This prism of of power, whether it's Israel and Hamas or it's Donald Trump in the deep state. Right? Everybody pretends to be the victim or the hero, never the villain. And so if I'm the underdog, if I'm the victim, then I can raise money off of that. I'm more sympathetic. That's where we have moved in our society. We are now a victim culture. The bigger the victim, the more they're worth supporting. The greater the weakness you display, the more worthy you are of support. It is completely bass-ackwards. All right, let me go over to the phones. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Pete. What's up? Uh, You made a statement about, you know, it being 100 years for, you know, before people realize, you know, where we've gone here in, in Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, as compared to Detroit. I lived uh, in the Tri-City area, which is just north of Flinton, Detroit. And I grew up in the 50s and 60s. Even then, there was what they called white flight. And I, actually, I consider it economic flight from, you know, Wayne County, to the Detroit area and the Detroit suburbs. Mm-hmm. When I ran for Congress back in '02 against Mel Watt, I was trying to make that point that I saw the same undercurrents growing here in the Charlotte area. You don't have that much time. Mm-hmm. If we have an economic um, catastrophe or even just a really, really bad pullback where the banks, which are the rock uh, base of this city, have problems, Charlotte will tumble very quickly. Sure. No, uh, my, my point on the hundred years, Jeff, was just that once it goes, once it goes full Democrat and is completely locked down by the Democrat Party, then it would take a century for people to finally wake up to how badly they've been governed. Like that's, I didn't mean it was going to take a hundred years for it to go bad. I'm saying it's going to go bad way sooner. It'll take a hundred years after that. <laughs> well. Th- Detroit has been in its economic woes now for 80, 50 years. Yeah, 50 60, years. yeah, since, well, well, you said you were there in the 50s and 60s, right? I mean, I, yeah. and I don't know, like, I was born in in the early 70s, so, I, like, I don't, I don't remember Detroit in its heyday. I remember seeing, you know, old TV footage and images of, you know, Motown and how Detroit, because at one point Detroit 
it was the most populated or one of the most populated cities in America, if I recall. Um, it was. Right. And so it was this like Emerald City on a Hill kind of a thing. And within a couple decades, it, it, by the time I grew up and was paying attention, it, it was it was nowhere you wanted to be. Well, I graduated from high school in 1970. And after the riots in 68, that was the real tipping point. Mm. Uh, Detroit never, ever really recovered from that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, it, yeah, you get rid of the security element in any uh, city and people who have the means, and I think you are correct, it's, it, it, it looked racial because it, it, well, it was, but it looks racial back then because those were the people who had more money at the time, right? People who could get out got out, and yeah. now you've got, a, you've got a pretty large black middle class now in America, and they leave too. They go out to the suburbs as well. When, when things get bad in, a, in an urban core. But, um, yeah, the, uh, the statement by the uh, new uh, Hispanic uh, board member saying that she would like to see police pulled out of schools yeah. because, because they uh, upset children of color. Yeah. Uh, in today's society, that's asking for trouble. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I said this yesterday. Does she think the counselors and nurses are go- are going to be the ones that take down a school shooter? It's it's just asinine. Um, Jeff, I pre- yeah, I appreciate the call, sir. Thanks so much. Okay, take All right, care. Take care. Yes, sir. Um, let me see here. Dennis has a comment about the bonds. Can you ever remember a time when Charlotte government had a bond request turned down? I cannot. It seems that the council could request a bond to put porta potties on every front porch in Uptown and it would get voted in. It's like the word bond is some magical gift to society in Big Charlotte. It's not a gift so much, Dennis, as uh, a grift. No, I kid. I kid, I kid. No, it's, um, it's people don't understand. They say bonds and they don't understand. That's a tax increase. The last bonds I remember getting shot down, I think were CMS bonds, um, no, there may have been an affordable housing bonds that went down, but I, the, the one I definitely remember was like early 2000s. And they, of course, you know, blamed parents for not wanting to educate kids and they attacked parents. And then they, you know, they 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 shrunk the bond package ask down and uh, and then it passed again. I think that might have been the last one. But, yeah, uh, I heard Pat McCrory this morning on Good Morning BT and he said it, they, they run the bonds now in the off year elections because turnout is so low. And he's exactly right. Exactly right. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. So what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even because being prepared is just smart carolina readiness supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency in waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com veteran-owned carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out democrats and media but i repeat myself uh, and even uh, members of trump world are calling for pro-lifers to uh, uh to ceasefire much like, much like the world community is calling on Israel to cease fire, Democrats and media and some in Trump world are telling pro-lifers to cease fire. Hold your fire in this 
in this culture war. And I, I heard former city councilman Michael Barnes last night on WBT. Uh, he was in studio as part of the election night coverage, and he, you know, he said, "Oh, you know, Republicans could make inroads." Uh, in the African-American community with more votes and stuff, but they got to drop the critical race theory, right? Yeah, so as long as you surrender, then, yeah, you can have my vote. Just, yeah, just become a Democrat, basically. I mean, that's that's what they're saying. Look, you guys could surrender, too. Like, you could stop pitting everybody against each other based on identity politics. You could do that, too. And then there wouldn't be this reaction. You could stop putting the dirty books in all the libraries, for the for the third graders, you know, to learn how to engage in the gay sex and such, like you could do that, you could stop doing that, and then we don't have these battles any longer. But that's not what they're asking. They're asking the pro-lifers to shut up. You guys stop fighting. Here's NBC News: Abortion rights keep winning and winning at the ballot box. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited! I'm sorry, NBC didn't say that part, but they but that's the tone. And on Tuesday night. Winning some more. I wonder if they're tired of all the winning. Nearly 17 months after the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade, the hot streak enjoyed by candidates and ballot measures backing abortion rights continued in a collection of states in very different places across the political spectrum. In Ohio, the state constitutional amendment to enshrine abortion rights won by double digits a year after Republicans swept the statewide offices that were up in the midterm elections. In Kentucky, Democratic Governor Andy Beshear won re-election after having made support of abortion rights a key message of his campaign in the deep red state. Well, I mean, also his father was the governor of Kentucky, right? So people know his name. He's got name ID. He was the governor also. But Kentucky's got a history of electing Democrat governors and ticket splitting. Not to mention, Daniel Cameron, as far as I can tell, his only pitch was, like, I'm Trump's pick. So you got to run a better campaign. Be your own candidate, for the love of me. And in Virginia, Democrats kept their majority in the state Senate. Well, Virginia is a blue state now, and they went through their redistricting. So, yes, they flipped those districts because, remember, Democrats, you know, draw the maps that are, quote, fair, so they win. That's a fair map for them. Actually, if you look at the numbers, Republicans did pretty well in actually very well in Virginia. They won seats that Trump had carried district seats and uh, for you know uh, House and Senate. They won some of those districts that Trump carried, even though they I'm sorry they won seats that Biden carried um, that were under nine percent margins. In other words, if you look at a if you look at a district, a county, let's say in um, in Virginia. And Biden carried that county. If Biden carried it by one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or eight percent, then the Republicans won those seats. So Republicans actually did pretty well in Virginia in those state races. They lost some school board races, notably in Loudoun County. But what's interesting is a lot of people in Trump world are are celebrating because Glenn Youngkin now doesn't have Republican legislative chambers to work with. And I do not understand you guys. I don't get it. What are you doing? These influencers, quote unquote, that, that, that have latched on to Donald Trump and Trump world and you know the Laura Loomer lunatics that are out there that have all just kind of swarmed around Trump world. I, I don't. I don't understand this argument. Oh, I do, actually. I do. 
It's because Glenn Youngkin was rumored to be potentially a candidate for 2024, which is which is silly. There are people that are like, oh, I really wish he would be the candidate. The guy just won one race. You already got Ron DeSantis in there. Why would Youngkin get in and, and carve up that lane again, right? It's just, that's just silly. The race, these are our candidates that we're going to look at on the Republican side. This is it, guys. We're not, Youngkin's not getting it. But the mere whiff of a rumor that maybe Youngkin's going to get in, now there's a spiking of the football in Virginia. In your face, Glenn Youngkin, you're rhino. Like, I'm sorry, again, do you want to change stuff? Do you want to, how about this? Do you want to pardon Donald Trump if he gets convicted? Do you want to try to do that? This is the point Will Chamberlain made. I know I'm all over the place today, but this is, uh, my, I got a lot of thoughts about a lot of these different races. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to Will Chamberlain. And, and not the basketball player, but I'll come back to William Chamberlain. Um, and your emails, I do have them. I got it open right here. I just haven't, I haven't read them yet. Uh, Will Chamberlain is a lawyer and senior counsel at the Article 3 Project. Um, he took to the Twitter machine and uh, he talked about, well, the first thing, he was responding to something that Seb Gorka had said, and he made a point that it's probably not a great idea for the Republican Party to be moving towards having a primary nominee going into the general election who may be in jail. The, the legal swirl all around Donald Trump, it's probably not the best position for the Republican Party to be in. Seb Gorka then yelled at him, I can't believe I ever gave you a platform and all this. I hate you. You're a bleep and all this. So Will Chamberlain then responded that he said, I have made a point of not attacking pro-Trump influencers, especially ones who I've been friendly with in the past. <clears throat> There's a number of reasons for this. For one, I strongly supported Trump in 2016 and in 2020. I see Trump supporters as part of my wing of the party, the America First wing even if I am supporting a different candidate in the primary. And when the general comes around, we're all going to be back on the same team again. All right, so that sounds like he's going to be, like he voted for Trump twice before, he intends to vote for Trump again, but he's hoping that somebody, and I don't know who he likes, um, I think he may say so later on, but uh, but he hasn't said, I don't know who he likes. He may be a DeSantis guy or a Nikki Haley guy, I don't know. Um but he says he's going to be voting for Trump or, I guess, any Republican nominee. So he sees everybody. We're all on the same team. He then says, uh, for another reason, I think it's tacky. But he says, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to continue that here. Seb Gorka, I have no interest in lobbing personal attacks at you. Even given your intemperate remarks towards me, I don't dislike you personally. My point that Trump is going to be a convicted felon and will drag down the GOP next November is descriptive. It's not normative. I don't want Trump convicted. He still has a substantial chance of being the nominee. I want Republicans to win. I want Democrats out of power. I want the lawfare to stop. Trump being convicted is bad for Republicans and bad for the policy outcomes I want achieved. Okay, so... He's not rooting for Trump to be convicted. This is the thing that so many people in politics, it's like you watch politics like it's like it's a sport and it's not. 
People make observations about things and then try to adjust what is realistically possible and what is not. And simply making an observation, this is just me saying this, now, making an observation does not mean you want that thing to occur. And I've been, every, every host of a radio program has encountered this. You point something out, you make an observation, and people think that that's what you want to see happen. And that's not the case. But if you're talking about what is possible, what is achievable, you have to deal with reality. Rush used to say that all the time, the mayor of Realville, right? Maybe that's our problem. We have, we have no mayor anymore in Realville. So what Will Chamberlain is saying, winning requires grappling with reality. And the reality is that Trump is an anchor on the party weighing it down. The last time we won an election was 2016, when Trump was facing a hugely unpopular candidate who had her own legal problems. Remember the emails? The October surprise of Comey reopening the investigation? That stuff dragged Hillary down. Well, we're about to see that dynamic, but 10 times worse. The D.C. trial starts in March. Trump has no hope of an acquittal. Not with a D.C. jury and a rabidly partisan judge. Again, this guy does not want to see Trump indicted. Doesn't want to see him convicted. Doesn't want to see him go to jail. But if you're looking at the way this is stacked up, he's not wrong. There's a really good possibility that this is the way it plays out. What then? What then? The appeals process would not proceed quickly enough for him to have any adverse trial rulings tossed out before Election Day. So he's going to be a convicted felon by Election Day, most likely by June. What does that actually mean? If he were to be the nominee, what does it mean? First and foremost, he could simply be incarcerated, right? I mean, once he's convicted, the judge who hates him could simply just remand him into custody right then and there. Now, if the judge felt like being generous, and why would she? She could simply restrict his travel pending sentencing. That means no rallies, no get-out-the-vote efforts. Biden chose to run a basement campaign. Trump, in the best scenario, will likely be forced to do so. And that's the best scenario. And that's just one case. That's just the one case in D.C. Trump will likely be sitting in a defendant's chair during most of the general election campaign. So what's the plan to win, given that reality? What's the plan to avoid a complete landslide? If he's, if he's in court in D.C. and down in Georgia, what's the plan? Is there one? He then says, you criticize me. He's talking to Seb Gorka. He says, you criticize me for acquiescing to the judicial persecution of the president. And that's wrong. I want the next Republican president to pardon Donald Trump and everybody else who's been caught up in this ridiculous lawfare. But to do that, we got to win. Somebody has to win. Burying your head in the sand is not a strategy. Have you ever seen, there's a, uh, there's a joke, it's a meme, I've seen it also as, um, where it's like, you know, uh, it's like the plan to uh, win the presidency, let's say in this example. The plan to win the presidency. You know, number one, declare uh, your candidacy. Number two, question mark. Number three, win. Right? Like, that's not a strategy. 
That's not a plan. And there are a lot of people that are watching this unfold and they're outraged about what's happening to Trump. I am as well. I'm not a fan of what's going on either. But what's the strategy if if you can't stop it? And and by the way, like how how do you stop it? How do you stop it if, if these convictions come in? Wrongful convictions, if they come in before the election and then he gets remanded into custody, he gets thrown in jail, he can run from the jailhouse or something. Is that the plan? Is that the best way to get a pardon for him? Is to hope he went because what if he doesn't, by the way, now he's in jail for four more years, right? That's not a strategy. Does anybody care? I mean, do you care about Trump? I don't know. There's, it just seems to me like there are a lot of people <clears throat> that claim to really like Donald Trump that don't seem to be acting in his best interest right now. There are a lot of grifters in Trump world that seem to not be acting in his best interest. Because they're, a lot of them are just freaking uh, th- uh, throne sniffers. I swear, they really are. That's all they are, throne sniffing. And, and that's not just Trump, by the way. That's, like, that's not just about a thing like Donald Trump. That's always the case. There are always people surrounding power. That's why they're called throne sniffers, not Trump sniffers, you know? Biden sniffing is a completely different thing. That usually happens at uh, photo ops with uh, young children. That's, I kid, I kid the president. Let's do some emails. Let's open up the, uh, the mail sack here and uh, take a gander. Greg says, Pete, I'm independent, but if the GOP folks treated their leadership the way football fans treat coaches, you wouldn't have the current GOP leadership. Instead, the GOP is doing the equivalent of the Panthers, extending Matt Rule for another 10 years after his awesome tenure year. That's (laughs) that's right. Uh, Joseph says, I think the answer regarding the elections, I think the answer is way simpler. Americans love dope and abortion, and as long as the left can somehow shoehorn them into a campaign, they're going to win. We don't live in a good moral country now, so take down old glory off the porch, turn off the Lee Greenwood, and face the fact that your government wants you for tax cattle or cannon fodder or dead and out of the way. Joseph has a very... Joseph, can I I call you Joe? Joe. I'm worried about you. Um... I, I, I'm worried you you convey in your messages a very bleak and depressing outlook on life, and I just I'm just I'm I'm worried about you. I don't. I, there's a lot of good in life. There's still a lot of good in 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 the world. You know, like all right. Um, John says, Pete. Most of the causes you outline, Trump has much more influence over. For example, Ronald McDaniel does not pick the candidates. Trump gets involved in almost every major primary and usually backs the candidate that ends up losing the general election. The RNC has been pushing people to early vote. Trump has been telling people to wait until after three o'clock on Election Day so they can't rig the vote. Ronald McDaniel has been uh, one of the most successful fundraisers as an RNC chair, which is her main job. Right, But if, if the money's going to Trump... Why isn't it being deployed? Then where's all the money going? They got outspent in all of these all of these states yesterday. 
Uh, Stan says the reason Ronna McDaniel is a failure and still in her job is the same reason and thought process that led local voters to give a failure of a school system a reward of $2.5 billion. Thank you, sir. May I have another one? So apparently, as long as it's just bad news in other neighborhoods and doesn't suck enough in the neighborhoods, at least not in their neighborhoods, at least not yet, this will continue. It'll only get fixed when they finally ruined every red city and state that they have fled to, and then there's nowhere left to run. I'm running by moving further away from Charlotte than Fort Mill, as it's only a matter of time before the lunacy bleeds over the line. Um, Mark says regarding uh, the uh, the weed vote up in Ohio, regardless of one's position on this issue, it's illustrative of what GovCo is all about. Despite winning with nearly 57 percent support, there's still the matter that the legislature can alter it to essentially void the vote. Regardless, it'll be a year or more before this is resolved. Much like Virginia, attempts to repeal laws by the citizenry are are thwarted by those within the status quo. Funny, though, when GovCo wants to outlaw some action or something, it only takes a couple of hours to make it so. GovCo is good at restricting liberty, not so much as protecting it. Robert, welcome to the program. Hello, Robert. Hey, Pete. Hey, what's Uh, up? Regarding Ron McDaniel, I'm kind of ambivalent about her. I, I think she's fine. I'd rather have her than the previous uh, head of the uh, RNC, Michael Steele, who who obviously cannot be very firm on his principles, his conservative principles, if he works at, at MSNBC. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I th- we're, Pete, we're in a 50-50 country right now. The House is very narrowly held by the GOP, the the Senate is very narrowly held by the Democrats. Uh, Trump won very narrowly and then lost narrowly. I think if he runs again against Biden, I think he will win narrowly. Uh, but I, we, I think we're trying to solve a, a, a problem here that may be unsolvable if you're trying to figure out why Democrats are winning about half the time and why Republicans are, Republicans are winning about half the time. They're not winning half the time. They've lost all of these races. I mean, aside from Florida and North Carolina, over the last seven years, or since, or yeah, since 2017, they've lost all of the midterms, all of the, the all of the big races. All of the, they've lost eight governorships. They've lost state houses. They they just keep losing. So they haven't been winning 50 percent of the time. We we didn't lose the house. We won the house. Yeah, no, we won the House in 22, correct, by five votes in a red wave election that should have materialized but did not. Well, you say it should have materialized. Yeah. We are a 50-50 country. We won the House narrowly. The Senate held the Senate narrowly. Mm-hmm. No, it, well, we didn't hold the Senate. We also should have won seats over there, too. All of the ec- – all no, I'm saying that, Robert, because all of the electoral indicators and the economic indicators, they always hold – in the same direction, like when the when the news is that bad and you're running in these different year off year elections, the waves usually come crashing ashore and they just don't now for the Republicans.